edition of Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I am your host, as always, Trey Whetstone, coming here from Columbus, Ohio. And today we're going to start chapter three. And this will be page one of chapter three. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that first wave of horror movie remakes. So a lot of the films that started in the 50s, and were revived and revitalized in the 70s, 80s, so on and so forth. Now, this episode is releasing on Valentine's Day, so you know I've got to bring a date for this one. So tonight I am joined by <laughs> Jay of the Dead. Jay, how's it going, buddy? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me. And that's really nice because otherwise I would not have a Valentine <laughs> this year. So I appreciate this a lot. Absolutely, man. <laughs> Thank you. Um, most of the listeners will know Jay from his various podcasts including Horror Movie Podcast, Jay of the Dead's new Horror Movie Podcast, Horror Movie Weekly, uh, Movie Podcast Weekly. I'm sure there's a lot more considering the cinema, but Jay's been all over and he's done a little bit of everything. Right. And, and quit like, you know, there's a boneyard of them. <laughs> Absolutely. As <we've> discussed. Yes. <laughs> so, Jay, when we were talking about an episode, you kind of discussed some interest in talking about two particular originals and remakes and those were The Blob, uh, 1958 and 1988, mm -hmm. I believe, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1956 and 1978. Yes. So what interests you about talking about these movies in particular? Well, th thank you for asking. On this is the honest truth, Trey. I, um, as, a, as a little kid, I was actually super afraid of horror movies, monster movies and stuff. Although, you know how it is when you're younger you want to look but you don't want to look and so like you're really kind of torn there because you're scared but you're also intrigued well these movies here like in terms of my formative years as a movie fan and a horror fan both the blob and invasion of the body snatchers were two of the movies that like freaked me out these movies as a as a little kid because my my family would actually let me watch these because you know, especially the ones from the, the 50s, because, you know, they were they seem much more benign and old fashioned. But it, it, for a little kid, this is freaky stuff. So I haven't done I haven't talked about these very much at all in the you know past 12 years of podcasting about this stuff. So I thought, hey, Trey is uh, quite the, the history man. And I'm like, this would be really fun to go into with you. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Jay. And mm -hmm. it's funny you say that because I was the same way. I was terrified of <laughs> horror movies as a kid. And, um, you know, I would have have nightmares all the time and end up sleeping on my parents' floor. But two <laughs> movies that got me and not nearly on the caliber that you had, I caught, uh, I think it was a like a sci-fi original type movie called Mosquito in the 90s sometime. Okay. And that freaked me out, just one scene from it. And then The Omen, I caught that oh. late on TV one night. And that really, <laughs> especially that uh, Damien smiling, just stuck in my head for years. <laughs> yeah, It's still one of my favorites to this day, but terrified me as a kid. Absolutely. But yeah, that's as good as reason of as any to kind of talk about these ones. And I think they're very influential films. And we've seen how many times they've been remade over the year, especially the body snatcher movies. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. kind of created a genre as far as the body snatching. But absolutely. And let's set up a little background and then we can kind of dig into these. These were both okay. original, originally 1950s movies. And what's going on in the 1950s at the time 
is you've got the Red Scare, you've got the fear of the atomic bomb, you've got all of that. So what's born out of those are science fiction movies. And that's mainly what we Mm -hmm. saw as far as horror in the 1950s. Yes. So really, that's what kind of birthed an entire era. And I'll get into some more of these types of movies, and they're pretty much all follow the same type of science fiction when, you know, science goes wrong or something happens to humanity in the realm of science. And there's plenty of those, plenty of examples of those, and plenty of those that got remade later on. But specifically, I think while we're going through these, Jay, a couple of things I kind of wanted us to kind of think on are one kind of the reason for these remakes. Is there a good reason for them? You know, does it make sense to update these movies? So Hmm. if you'll entertain that, maybe we'll talk about those as we go through. That's a great question. Yeah, because what you said is right on the money, and it's actually one of my favorite aspects of the 1950s sci-fi horror stuff because there is so much fear inherent in the creation of those movies. Like the reason for them you're you're really seeing like uh, societal fears kind of bleeding out into into the cinema. And what's really cool about that is, as you said, like with McCarthyism, the Red Scare, and you had the, the nuclear age starting yep. back then with the atomic bomb, all of that stuff and, and Godzilla, of course, all of that stuff was big and scary then. But then the thing is, in the 80s, we had a very similar fears once again with the cold war and with russia i remember as a kid trey in the 80s i was scared to death that russia was gonna nuke us i mean that's all they talked about it constantly it seemed like and i was genuinely afraid of that and so it makes sense to me that we would see a resurgence of of these kind of movies like you know with the blob remake and stuff in the 80s again and then there's also like the financial side of hollywood it's like you know, if a story was successful before and it was beloved or appreciated by people, then yeah, we can update that thing and make money again on the title. So that that's what it seems to me. Yep. And Jay, I don't know how many times, how many episodes, probably almost every episode I have to say this, but it's all cyclical, right? Mm-hmm. What what goes around comes around later and it's just repackaged. You know, what we could have considered like the atomic bomb ending art, which I mean, that's still nuclear still looming over us for sure yeah. but that could maybe be interpreted as today with climate change the kids who mm-hmm. are terrified of the bomb back in the 80s and the cold war and everything you were saying maybe the kids of today are terrified by thinking you know the planet's not going to be habitable because of all climate change so what's that girl uh greta greta thornburg yeah when you see when you see her speaking i mean you can see that this this young lady I mean, her heart, she is so earnest and mm-hmm. she is, she is very fearful. And, um, anyways, but yeah, you're exactly right. You nailed that tray. I agree a hundred percent. Yep. And sorry for the little bit of political or politics, but these movies are inherently po- political. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah. So um, we're going to get a little bit into that as we get through this. Mm-hmm. Jay, do you want to, uh, first of all, I thought it would be fun. Which way? I thought it would be fun for maybe us to guess, because I don't know if I've heard you talk about these movies, which way you lean on as far as like remake or original. Oh, okay. You mean just in general? How do I feel about remakes? Okay. No, just for these two, these these four films in general. Yeah. Do you think, I want to kind of get inside Jay's head and guess which way you're leaning on these ones. (laughs) Okay. If you entertain me there. Of course, go for it. So I, I'm thinking body snatchers, you lean towards 
the original and blob you re- lean towards the remake i'm just gonna throw oh, that out there amazing yeah you nailed it on uh, body snatchers now i i will agree i know people love the 78 film and it is good mm-hmm. but there is something that is working it is firing on all cylinders in that original body snatchers it film is. from 56 yep and even though i mean there a modern a modern viewer like today's audiences they might be like oh, okay that's black and white slow pace there's like you know there's not a lot of like shock value in the imagery but the thing is Trey it is working on a psychological level that is getting under your skin and unsettling i i couldn't believe it but i was actually feeling creeped out as i revisited that film amazing so so yeah you're right on invasion of body snatchers i definitely say the 1956 original and the thing about the blob is you know to be honest with you the jay of the dead from a couple years ago probably would have said the 88 one because it Uh it 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 is more it is more um i guess flashy and entertaining and sensationalized but the thing is i love the effects of the original blob i love the way it looks Mm -hmm. and i almost think that they went a little a little overboard because I don't like as much how the blob in the 88 version has like tendrils and it reaches out and stuff. I just liked it as a literal blob moving around. Anyway. Okay. Okay, I did not update my Jay of the Dead, okay. you know, profile in my <laughs> When I'm trying to profile you here. I didn't didn't update for your new sensibilities, Jay. I know I, I, it's so unproductive. People say to me all the time, Trey, like I just never know what you're gonna say because you're not very consistent. You don't make sense. But well, what about for you? Because you you strike me. Let, let me try to guess with you. You strike me as a man, especially a man who appreciates the history of cinema and horror cinema. You strike me as a person who would, I, I guess, be most loyal or appreciative of the originals and is that is that accurate or not so you're half accurate okay (laughs) i think you uh and we can get into this as we talk about the movies but yeah you nailed it on invasion of body snatchers like that's there's no topping that original for me for i don't think any body snatcher film that's come out ever i think that's an incredible film the blob and this is the one we're going to talk about first so i'll i'll preamble this by saying I think that 58 version is just a little bit too cheesy for myself. I think it falls into that type of thinking that was going on around Hollywood at the time. Those kind of, I don't know how to describe the film, but we'll get into this, Jay. But I lean towards, I think I've leaned towards more, especially in this rewatch here, towards the 88 blob. And we'll get into why. But let's go. You want to go ahead and get started with the 58 blob? Absolutely. And I can run down a synopsis for us. Yes, sir. So this is from 1958, directed by Irvin S. Yeworth Jr. I don't know how to pronounce that, but I'm going to go with that. And it's funny. I think it's very telling the tagline of this film. It crawls, it creeps, it eats you alive. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but let's see. All right. A drive-in favorite, the sci-fi classic follows teenagers Steve and his best girl Jane as they try to protect their hometown from a gelatinous alien life form that engulfs everything it touches. The first to discover the substance and live to tell about it, Steve and Jane witness the blob destroying an elderly man, then it growing to a terrifying size. But no one else has seen the goo, and policeman Dave refuses to believe it without the proof. Uh, I'm just sorry, I just want to interject one thing. 
One of my favorite things about 1950s sci-fi horror, and this is a convention that you see a lot, is there's always a, a Paul Revere type. Mm -hmm. There's a person that's trying to spread the word, spread the warning, like a harbinger of doom, you know, but, but it's like somebody knows the truth and they go around trying to share it and no one will believe them. And, and that is just such a, a helpless kind of convention that happens in so many of these movies. And I actually really enjoy that because part of what's fun for me about movies, Trey, is thinking, okay, what would I do if I were in this situation? So I'm always trying to think, okay, how would I communicate this and say this to these people so they'll actually believe that, what I'm, that I'm not nuts and that what I'm saying they, they should actually look into? Yeah, no, that um, that is terrifying, Jay, um, yeah, of not yeah. knowing, no one believing you. And we see that all the time, right? Without through horror movies, especially mm -hmm. a main point is no one believes you until it's too late. And yes. that's definitely the case here, too. I don't know as far as that, that description using words like best girl and all this different stuff. It kind of <laughs> it kind of takes you to a certain period, right? I don't know where this comes from. This is coming from Letterboxd. I don't know if this comes from like back of the the DVD case or whatever, but um, mm -hmm. I typically like those better than the IMDb synopses. Let's go ahead and just get in. What are your overall thoughts on the blob 58? What, what are some things, not overall thoughts maybe, but what do you want to point out or what particulars do you want to talk about? Today? Okay. Thank you. I would like to defend this movie a little bit because actually like, yeah, I, I was recently just trying to promote the criterion version of this film because and this is going to sh probably shock people who are familiar with where I come from in horror. I don't like comedy and horror. I don't like silliness and horror. And this thing, as you said, Trey, is very campy. I mean, they've got this song that is so silly. <laughs> yeah, it is straight up silliness. But the thing is, here, here's why I still appreciate this and I can look past that. It's like, okay, what is this monster? The monster is this just this ooze that, that consumes people. I mean, it couldn't be simpler. It's almost like it's a generic stand-in for a monster. It's like, um, it's like they were sitting in the, the, you know, the planning room in the boardroom and saying, okay, what, what's our film going to be about? Okay. Well, let's just, we'll think about it later, but let's just call it a month. Let's just call it a blob, you know? And, and I've heard the stories on how they all came up with that, but I'm just saying that I love how the monster is this generic thing. And so, and this is a drive-in movie, and, and so it's supposed to be a little bit sensationalized. So this is supposed to be a good time on a date at the drive-in movies. Now, I wouldn't have chosen to put no. that song in here. <laughs> but, on this. The time. But, but I do appreciate, yeah, and I appreciate the fact that, hey, you know, this is a monster movie about a big freaking jelly thing that eats people. So... You know, I can see them leaning into the campiness a little bit. Jay, you're reading my mind here because I've got my notes. You can tell how cheesy this film is from the opening credits and theme song. <laughs> but I'm not going to I'm not going to go down a path here. I don't dislike this movie. OK, I think you're absolutely right. And this is definitely a in my eyes anyway, a kind of parable about conformity, I think, especially mm -hmm. in the 50s where yes. everyone's supposed to think and act a certain way. You know, when the blob comes for you, you're going to become unrecognizable and you're all just part of the blob. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the main main theme running throughout. I don't know if you disagree or agree. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, especially um, as you said earlier with what was going on with the Red Scare, the fears of communism and all that stuff, because because it is interesting, right? When we first see the blob, it's white, Mm -hmm. um, like a white, clear gel. And then it's like briefly blue. And then as it devours victims and gets their bloody bodies inside of it, it turns red. So this red, white and blue thing Mm -hmm. turns all red for the rest (laughs) of the movie. So it seems to suggest, you know, communism taking over the United States. Yeah. And I, but really what I'm thinking is that these films, I know you said you picked these because they had an impression on you when you were younger and you haven't really talked about them a lot. Yeah. But all four of these films follow along very similar themes and thematic, <laughs> you know, running throughout them. Yeah. So that's Absolutely. very interesting. I do have one note here. The, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jay. Oh, forgive me. I, and, and, you know, isn't it true? Like, you know, these two originals were just two years apart. So, I mean, it makes sense that in this in this kind of sci-fi horror headspace that we're coming out with it, we're going to have similar themes coming out. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, are these maybe like the oldest looking teenagers, though, you've you've seen in a film? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, even though like like I, I forget if this is actually Steve McQueen's like first big role, but he looks like he's like 47 years old. Oh, yeah. And he's 30. <laughs> I think he's around 30. Uh, yeah, you're right. He is. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, yeah, that guy, I'm just not buying it that he's a teenager. So I'm with you. No, and I don't. That's nothing against Steve McQueen's performance because he does fantastic. And, you know, he's a very iconic actor. And the funny thing, the flip side of that is this director hasn't really gone on to do much after The Blob. Mm -hmm. So that's very interesting to me. But here's the thing about The Blob 58 is I think a lot of it is like we've talked about are these teenagers trying to get people to believe them that there is this thing in the town, like you said, the Paul Revere, and no one's believing them. And Mm -hmm. they go almost the entire length of the film without someone believing them. Right, Jay? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it takes it takes forever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. and it's surprising, right? Because you, and I think one way they do that is the monster is a little bit elusive, which is kind of surprising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, in yeah. for me, the biggest attractor of this one is just that it does. Like we said, it just takes a little bit too much time. It's a little slower of a build. And for me, the blob mm-hmm. as a creature in this one isn't that menacing. Now, you're saying like I'm very history focused and you're actually absolutely right, Jay, and appreciating the older films. But the 50s are just a time Mm -hmm. when I have a hard time getting into American horror films. And I don't know. I don't know if you've fallen into that. I know you said you were um, you kind of like that period where we've got the monsters and sci fi and stuff. But 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 like something like the original, like the the Mm. thing from another world or whatever. Yeah, that plant yeah. thing monster just really <laughs> repels me. I, I I do not like the design of that monster. But yeah, for whatever reason, and given Trey as well, like I think another reason I have a soft spot for this monster is learning that, you know, according to the lore, there was some kind of like incident where um <laughs> this movie was inspired. Like they found this quivering jelly like if people out there are interested google star jelly sometime and and look and read about the the blob inspiration and who knows how much of this has become just you know uh, like urban lore urban legend but if there was some kind of weird incident where they couldn't identify this substance that's kind of neat to me but but yeah it's not super scary 
but yeah, I just think it looks really cool. Yeah. And you know what, Jay, it, to be fair, this is probably similar to your like not admitting that you would be afraid of a kid, you know, in a horror <laughs> movie um, is that there are probably a lot of benign looking things out there that could kill us very easily. Oh, yeah. So if you add that element in, mm-hmm. maybe it's a little more menacing than I put it out to be, because there are so many things that we just don't know about plant species and all that kind of things and animals and all that that could just take us out really quickly, take us out in our sleep, you know? Yeah, (laughs) even a jellyfish. I mean, think about how frail and fragile those things look. But you touch one of those and it it freaking hurts. They sting, you know, like, (laughs) so so that's kind of kind of interesting. Yeah. And it does give us one of, you know, very iconic scene with that movie theater. Everyone knows, you know, that shot, I believe it's like the Drexel Theater or something over there near Dave Dr. Shockbecker's yeah, way. Yeah, it's close to him. Yeah, but that's a very famous scene. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, it does give us that. Jay, what other what other things do you like about this movie? What what else do you want to talk about on this one? Well, I, I want to back you for sure on what you said about the slow build. I think if a listener is going to be trying this out for the first time, it's going to take some patience. And, and I think... As you look at older cinema, and I I bet you'd agree with this, Trey, the pacing was a lot different in the history Mm -hmm. of cinema back then. And then once we hit the MTV generation and the quick edits and we got Paul Greengrass and, you know, everything is super fast. I I think it made me, at least as a viewer, a lot less patient for this kind of thing. But back in the day, I mean, I I just try to put myself in a drive-in, you know, in a drive-in situation watching this movie it's this weird mystery and and many mysteries do build very gradually. And so I think if, if we remember that this film is a mystery at its heart, you know, mm-hmm. we can be a little more patient with the slow build, but yes, I agree with you. It is deliberately paced. Yeah. And I said in my last episode, I think I'm absolutely fine with a slow build. I can love a slow build you just better have some interesting stuff in there. And to the blob's credit, it does. It does. It's going to pay off in the end, mm-hmm. right? And it pays off along the way. It's just not necessarily that everyone else knows about it. Right. Um, right. So I'm not trying to lump that in with that. I think it is a slow build, but I still think it's an enjoyable film. Yes. And and the two other things I'd just contribute to, to the audience here is that number one, I think in terms of like a gateway horror film, which is what we sometimes refer mm-hmm. to, like the, the films that you're kind of, you want to wean like a younger horror fan or a potential horror fan, teach him about it. This is a really good one for that. I think, I mean, you'd have to probably watch it yourself and decide, but like, you know, I'd probably show this to like, you know, a nine year old, maybe eight year old, this depends. And, and so there's that. And I think, and I won't give any spoilers of course, but I think the ending of this is so abrupt. It's hilarious. Mm -hmm. It, yeah, it is yep. just, I, I like laughed upon revisiting this. I laughed out loud <laughs> watching the ending because it's just so, okay, wrap it up, tie, you know, tidy bow. That's it. This is yeah. the end. <laughs> well, it's that old trope of like, okay, get on the phone and tell them how to take these guys down. It's just like, yes. ends it so abruptly and it's, let's get out of here. We've got, no, I, th- I think it's an interesting way to dispatch of the monster though. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Without getting oh, yeah. into any details. Right. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And I think it's cool. I mean, it's neat that we as we see the course of the film unfold, we learn a little bit about the monster and whether it has any sort of weakness or aversion. And then, you know, we can 
exploit that later on in the battle. And I think that is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there, it's not without its like raw raw <laughs> moments and stuff. As right. I'm thinking of one with like teenagers running into a school um, yes. to get something. But you go back to even a classic like something like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, and you're going to see stuff like that. It's very right. like on the nose, and so it's always important, even if you're not, you know, even if you're not going to love the movie or think it's a classic. There's always lessons to be learned, and there's always things that have influenced the genre going forward. Mm-hmm. And I think they're in here. They're present here, definitely. Yes. And the last thing I'll say, Trey, just to tell you another reason I appreciate this particular monster uh, is because so often, I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but but the percentage of like an alien invasion type film, if something comes from outer space, aliens are usually humanoid. And, and, and like, that's why I love like Arrival. Um, mm-hmm. because those, yes. those, the design of those aliens, it's like, yes, we got aliens that are not humanoid. It's like, you know, they would probably look different from us. Yep. So I love that about this film. We have, this is an alien invasion film. It is a hostile alien, but this, but it doesn't look humanoid. And I think that's cool. Yeah. As someone who loves high concept sci-fi mm-hmm. back you a hundred percent on the weirder, the better for some of these aliens. Sometimes you get a little too two out there but i think really both of these movies between this and the body snatcher i think they're both unique versions of aliens Mm -hmm. yes would you recommend this one to to people jay absolutely yeah i mean if i if i were giving you know a a really straightforward rating i Mm -hmm. you know i rate out of 10 usually on halves and stuff and i mean just objectively I mean, it does have a very important place, I think, in sci-fi horror history, and, mm-hmm. and especially even for me in my formative years as a horror fan. But but setting all that aside, I still think that given the kind of, you know, the special effects that we see, because there are some effects that they pull off with the blob, which is pretty cool. And so I, I'm a, at a 6.5 out of 10. I think this is a rental. I think everybody should see it once. I personally, I got the Criterion Blu-ray for it. So I own it and, you know, it's a buy for me. But I think most people, if I were to guess, would probably, you know, just rent mm-hmm. it once and then and then you'd you'd be good. But what do you think, Trey? No, that's absolutely where I fall in is like a one time watch for a one time watch for most and probably even more than that for others. The only thing I'm kind of maybe seeming a little bit hesitant on this one, Jay, is I think this is a lot of times and I just want to kind of temper expectations if you're going in. I just think a lot of times this one's put up there with horror classics. Like you think of the blob and you're thinking it's in that classics range. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is just a step below some of those classics. And yeah. so I have no problem recommending this to everyone to watch at least one time. Just know that going in that maybe you're not going to get, you know, have your expectations in check. And I think you'll enjoy yourself. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's definitely not John Carpenter's The Thing, right? <laughs> no, no, it's not John Carpenter's The Thing, <laughs> but not much is, you know? Right. Exactly. Okay. Let's, let's go ahead and set up the uh, Blob 88. So this was from 88, directed by Chuck Russell, who's brought us such classics as The Mask and The Scorpion King. And I believe also Nightmare <laughs> on Elm Street 3, uh, which I, I like, but it's very, it's not going to win any awards. Um, right. But this is an interesting tagline here, Jay. Scream now while there's still room to breathe. Terror has no shape. 
And if we want to get into this, the synopsis very short reads, remake of the 1958 horror sci-fi about a deadly blob, which is the spawn of a secret government germ warfare project, which consumes everyone in its path. Teenagers try in vain to warn the townsfolk who refuse to take them seriously, while government agents try to cover up the evidence and confine the creature. Mm. So right there in the synopsis, we have a shift, right? If 58 is about conformity and the Red Scare and McCarthyism, as you've said, 88 is about government conspiracies. (laughs) I think that is Mm. at the heart of 88. You could still (laughs) maybe see that conformity message there in the 80s because we kind of have a return to um, a more conservative society in the 80s at least Mm -hmm. at the power center of the United States. So maybe that message is still there, sure. But I think this one shifts more to what's the government doing that we don't know about. Is that fair, Jay? Absolutely. And I think one thing that's really interesting to me is how much this parallels E.T., extraterrestrial Mm -hmm. (laughs) Spielberg, because I I am reminded a lot of E.T. when I watch this. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't, here's where we're going to, if we're going to talk about original and remake, that mm-hmm. this one follows, doesn't, I guess it doesn't, it hits the same beats at a broad level, but it mm-hmm. kind of tilts it on its head. It's not really the same as 58. I don't even think, they're not using the same characters. They're not using the same type of town. Like it's completely different in my eyes. Right. Yeah, I agree think you're right like even even the names and stuff but but there is like the archetype you know there mm-hmm. there's kind of like a character who's a little bit of a a, a ne'er-do-well but has a mm-hmm. good heart i mean there's a little bit of broad stroke similarity but yeah i think you're right they they actually tried to take this and take it a, a little bit different direction so i i think it is kind of a refreshing i mean the thing is there's a there's what 30 years in between these movies or whatever yep, it is. Exactly. 30 years. Almost exactly. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, it's not like people are going to be like super familiar with the, the 58 blob, but I, I still appreciate when a film is remade and they give us something new. So we don't know every single thing that's coming. Yeah. And I want to circle back right now to those questions, Jay, the reason for, you know, this remake, does this make sense to update this movie for an audience in 1988? Oh, yeah, I think so. In fact, um, I'm a huge fan of the 80s horror films. Mm-hmm. And and I do like I was telling Trey here before we started recording that um, I took the opportunity to show this to my two kids today for the first time. And um, and it was amazing because I, I've been wanting to show them some 80s horror mm-hmm. and and just kind of try to give them the elbow nudge. You know, when things are over the top or things are a little campy, things are a little extreme and it's like, what is going on right now? Just to give them a sense of why that's fun and why it's amazing. And this has this has that stuff to it. So whereas the, you know, the 50s one obviously didn't go that far. This thing kind of puts its 80s claws into this Mm -hmm. story. And even the, the blob, even though I don't appreciate like the artistic depiction as much of this blob it it is definitely more menacing and more monstrous i'm gonna start off right here by saying i'm a hypocrite jay because i have much more i've got much less of a tolerance for 50s camp as i do for 80s camp and i think Uh, that's true for a lot of horror fans probably (laughs) right right (laughs) but i think that's what i what's like pushed me towards this one is 
it just has that feel of mm-hmm. a late 80s, early 90s film, especially starting off at a small town football game as the opening of this film. Yes. And it kind of puts you right in that, you know, you're in that fall setting. Mm-hmm. It just feels like that time period. Yes. It does. And in fact, this is the kind of movie, and I love when this happens with, this is probably just a nostalgic thing. It's probably very subjective, but I love being taken back because in my, my formative years, and I'm talking, you know, between the ages of like, I don't know, six and, you know, 13 or whatever, as I was getting exposed to horror movies, that would usually happen at my aunt and uncle's house because my, my older cousins would watch HBO and Cinemax late at night. And, you know, things like this would be on TV. So we'd be up eating Doritos, you know, drinking Mountain Dew and watching something nuts like this on TV on HBO. And this has that feeling. I mean, that's why I love 80s stuff so much. It it feels that magical way that people love 80s movies. Yeah. And I can say as someone who's not who wasn't even, you know, alive during that time (laughs) that 80s nostalgia isn't just something I think that you feel growing up in the period, which it's fair that you would feel it stronger, Jay, for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think I feel just as nostalgic for that time period, especially the early 90s. And I don't know why, because I was definitely too young to remember it. Yeah, I think you can get that nostalgia without having been there because you just know what a prototypical 80s film is like. And this (laughs) this feels exactly like it. Well, yeah. And the other thing, and and I think, you know, like our our friend uh, Kyle Bishop, Dr. Walking Dead, I think he has said something along these lines in the past that 80s horror has a different vibe to it because actually things were going pretty well in the United States. I mean, for the most part, I mean, we had the Cold War Mm -hmm. stuff happening, all that. But like, you know, the economy was pretty good usually. and, and, And like things were, we were thriving. And so the horror was a little bit more, um, I, I think it was less of a dire sort of expression of societal fears and and more about the roller coaster ride, personally. Yep, you hit the nail on the head, Jay. And that's, I had just talked about this on my last episode. Why does the Spanish horror industry suddenly dry up when Franco dies and is out of mm-hmm. power? Mm-hmm. Why does it, you know, why is there that sweet spot when Franco's still alive from the late 60s to the mid to late 70s? Why does it suddenly dry up? Why do we not get a lot of serious horror in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, early Mm -hmm. aughts, as far as American film is considered? It's absolutely right. And uh, you said Kyle Bishop's the one that kind of was talking about that. Yeah, he often talks about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it makes a lot of sense. And like I said, go, everything's in cycles. You're going to listen to me say this over and over again. But when times are good, maybe people aren't making serious, terrifying horror movies. But we look at today, we're getting all kinds of horror movies, all kinds of. And yes, we still get the fun horror movies, but we get some pretty dire yes. horror movies, too, today. And times are a little bit turbulent. So, I, yeah. And in fact, Trey, I mean, I just got to say, I mean, this this past year, 2021, there were a couple horror films that hit me below the belt, I felt, you know, like, I I mean, I was really shaken up by a couple films, like, and one example is St. Maud. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some ferocious, mean-spirited horror films out there that are really taking some low blows 
now. And mm-hmm. I think it's exactly what you said. There is a there's a lot of turmoil and concern and fear in the world right now. And it makes sense we'd be getting this kind of horror. And I think we talked about that a little a while back, Jay. Wasn't uh, separation one of those that kind of got you? You too. Yeah, that that was one that really got me. And um, yeah, there was a there was another one. Like both of the ones that hit me the hardest were spiritually related, because you know, like last year was like a, a turbulent year for me, and so then having some uh, tests of faith or shots across the bow where it pertains to faith in a horror film. They were kind of rattling for me. They rattled my cage a little bit. And, you know, I appreciate it and I respect it because, hey, that's what this genre is supposed to do is shake mm-hmm. you up. And so they were successful. Yeah. And I got a I don't know if you've seen have you seen The Night House from last year, Jay? No, not yet. So there's some questions of faith in there as well. And somehow convinced my wife to go see that in the movie theater with me for my birthday and she was not a big fan of that aspect so she did not come away enjoying that film but (laughs) so to kind of Uh back you up things but i back you up on separation too i don't know why people are sleeping on separation Um, yeah i'm with you thank you yeah because that that film's pretty creepy right i mean it's yeah it's i mean i i was surprised at how much that that movie unsettled me yeah to get it pull this back um the blob 88 yeah, it's what you're saying, Jay. It's got to be brought up to the times. It's got to be a little more fun. It's got to be a little more violent. It's got to be a little more, you know, all of that. It's got to be a little more edgy, right, in places. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. yeah. And I want to, one thing, so to go right off of your statement there, and this has a pretty good supporting cast, I think, even if they're just small bit roles from the likes of Jack Nance and Jeffrey DeMoon and Candy Clark, even. Mm-hmm. Just solid cast from top to bottom but there's a very comedic scene where paul goes to meet meg's father and there was a scene at the pharmacy earlier and that scene's just great first of all but it's definitely yes. comedic and it's definitely injecting that straightforward comedy into the film yes and that that whole thing feels very 80s doesn't it like yeah it's just there's something about that like and i had forgotten about that scene completely because uh-huh. it's been years since <laughs> i've seen this and so you know, with the bit with the newspaper and everything, I wasn't even <laughs> expecting it. And then it was like, bam. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's some humor in this one for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. And I believe that's Art LaFleur mm-hmm. who's playing the dad there. And it's just it's just hilarious. And yeah, like you said, Jay, I was rewatching all these, but it, it had been a little while since I had seen them. So kind of forgot what was going on. But I think just the the violence and effects are kind of ramped all the way up. And I know you were kind of hinting as this is maybe a little bit of a detractor for you, Jay. Well, so this blob, it, it's honestly an, an aesthetic, you know, okay. appear, opinion for okay. me. Yeah. This blob kind of looks like chewed up bubble gum, <laughs> you know, whereas the other blob looked like that neat, slimy gelatin mm-hmm. substance, you know, like a cherry pie filling or something, <laughs> you know. But the other side of it, though, even though it does look like chewed up bubble gum sometimes, you can still see the grotesqueries inside of it. You can see veins and parts of people and things that it's not ingesting. Like you, you know what I mean? So that's kind of cool as well. Yeah, I I am a pretty big fan of the effects as far as like when the blob consumes someone mm-hmm. and kind of the violence we get on screen where I kind of kind of shy away from and maybe lean towards the original blob is that 
we talked about everything getting ramped up and it definitely gets a little over the top and bombastic. Maybe I should say at the end of the end of this version, they had me for the first two thirds of this film. And then the ending kind of trails off a little bit for me. It's not as I'm with you. Not as fun. It's almost, it's almost like they kind of lost a little bit of control of what Mm -hmm. was going on with with the movie. And and I don't know if that's, do you think it's a, a, a matter of like, you know, they crossed the line with suspension of disbelief or they were just like, okay, well, this is just, this is crazy. All, you know, we're pulling out all the stops. Like, what do you think that was about? I don't know. I think the problem for me is just that it turns much more into like an eighties over the top action movie at the end. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it was like this slow, tense build in the beginning or anything, but I think we get also, we're just getting less of these characters being the characters that they are. And we're getting more of them just screaming and yelling and running. And as far as our leads. Yeah. It's kind of a lethal weapon movie at the end. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think at the beginning we get a good build and we learn who Meg is and we learn who, and I'm blanking on his character's name, but it's Kevin Dillon, right? Is the act. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The Brian flag guy. Yes, Brian Flagg. And mm-hmm. we get to know their characters. And we even get a little scene with the two kids who are going to sneak into the movie theater. And we get a build up of these characters. And I think in the end, the character development is just gone. It's just, let's blow things up. Let's shoot things. Let's <laughs> let's throw <laughs> some fire over here. Right. It's about <laughs> spectacle at that point. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, being critical. But like I, I enjoy both of these movies quite a bit. But I'm with you. And uh, did you did you appreciate like there are definitely some really nice 80s touches in here because, of course, we know that Friday the 13th, that franchise was doing really well. And so they've got some great nods to Friday the 13th in this, which is really fun. So I appreciated that. Another little point that I wanted to just bring up is one of the things that I've always loved and appreciated about the movie Psycho is how... um, you know, the, the very famous and unusual, like kind of bait and switch of uh, our protagonist with Janet Lee, because you just you, mm-hmm. you get a surprise in that. Yep. And, and a very similar thing happens in this film. And, and I was so proud, Trey, I got to tell you, I was a proud papa because my daughter, who's 11, she she actually brought that up to me. She's like, oh, you think this person's the protagonist? And it ends up that's not the protagonist. And I'm like, yeah, girl, you get it. <laughs> so <laughs> that was amazing. I was so proud. That is that's awesome. Cool. And funny you talk about that. I'm going to get off on a side note here for just a second. Mm-hmm. Have you seen City of the Dead from 1960? Mm, I, I don't think so. With Christopher Lee? No, I don't think I've seen that one, actually. So you got the great zombie on the... um the zombie head on the the front of the cover okay and all oh, the 1960 version okay sorry yeah i have not seen that sorry i'll just say that comes out a little bit before psycho and oh. uh, there might have been something relating to what we just talked about in cool okay yeah so to give a little background to kind of back me up here they actually began production on that in 59 and it released in the uk in september the same time it released that psycho released in the united states so while Psycho or while City of the Dead did not come to the U.S. until a year later, they released in the same month, one in the U.K., one in the U.S. I don't know. I just I'm not saying anything. I'm not sh- throwing any shots. I am so impressed, brother. Anytime somebody can 
teach me an older cut because I, I don't know a lot about the history of cinema, to be honest. I'm not like you or Dave Becker. I, it's a weak spot for me. So any anytime somebody's like, yeah, actually, this was happening way before that back in this movie. So that that was kind of cool. But but so you're saying that might have actually preceded or at least they came out like the same year, like with Psycho. Yes, that's cool to know. Thank you. Uh, just just food for thought there. But it's that phenomenon that we've seen where, like, for whatever reason, similar things are happening in movies that come out at the same time. And they're not necessarily related or are inspired by one another. But there's just this this weird zeitgeist going around. And <laughs> OK, that that's neat. Yeah, I think that's what went on here. Yeah. OK, cool. Thank you. Thanks for teaching me. But anyway. What was, oh, I was going to ask you about the movie scene, um, the movie theater scenes. What do you think of the movie theater scene in this one compared to the original? Oh, I actually I really enjoyed this one because one thing that I'm crazy about is just like a, a little film nerd is um, I love when we have a film within a film. For some reason, that's so amusing to me. And and even though it's not that big a trick, you know, but but in this, you're actually watching something on the the movie screen and for a few moments you actually think it is the blob film proper but it's not it's the film they're watching within the movie and and that is super cool to me so and and then the extremity you know the extreme nature of what happens in the movie theater especially given there's i'll just say it like this trey there is an offender in the theater who is committing grievous offenses <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for moviegoers, and uh, and you know I'm very pleased with the events that uh, unfold there. <laughs> yes, no, I I back you up a hundred percent. I love the, I love just the flashing lights as everything's yeah. unfolding in this movie theater. And it's very frantic, and it feels like there's there's consequences to this, and there's real stakes here. So I tend to mm -hmm. like this a little better. And yes, that guy got what he deserved. I agreed. And not only do I like this better, I also love the projection room scenes in this. As so that was cool. Oh too. yeah, yes, yep. I'm with you there. You got anything else on this one, Jay? Oh yeah. Um, just real quick. Let me see. If people end up watching this with the subtitles on, because sometimes, sometimes we do that. If if I'm having trouble regulating the volume in like my neighbors upstairs in my apartment, they were playing some music pretty loud, so we had the subtitles on. And something really funny in these subtitles is they had the adverb softly like put in there probably a thousand times. Like every <laughs> everything that made a noise was softly, you know, you know, softly humming, softly whispering, softly gurgling. And we my kids and I were cracking up over that. So that was kind of funny. <laughs> and then there's also a, a teaching moment in this film about sexual assault, mm -hmm. date rape. And I think that is um, I actually think that's a good scene because I was actually able to take that moment and explain to my kids why that is a crime. Yeah. So why it's just a total sleaze bag if you do something like that. Super sleaze bag. I do such a sleaze bag. So that was another thing I appreciated in this movie. Let me see here. Uh, sorry, I'm no, I'll, no, no. I'll try right not to hold us right up ahead. too much. Yeah. And I and I just love that. Uh, I love the. So I'm, I'm trying to think how to say this because I don't want to give any spoilers. We see we see the blob in certain um, conditions. OK, 
and and I love like sometimes it is in a certain scientific condition or state that is very interesting to me and I like where that little subplot leads at the end you know there's kind of a little you know stinger moment Mm -hmm. that's you know sets us up for some Mm -hmm. future films and I really appreciated that I thought that was really interesting yeah it's kind of subtle throughout like it happens earlier on and it just kind of follows through with that plot line right right and and my kid I'm gonna say one more thing silly but um in the beginning, <laughs> my kids were dying laughing because there's a dinner scene and this kid is being super obnoxious at dinner and he's got his face down on his plate, like, you know, eating jello like mm-hmm. a, an, an animal. And <laughs> and his mom's like, Kevin, don't eat with your face. And, and like, we just died laughing <laughs> on that. That was super funny. And and by the way, I wish there they have a the film in the theater that's like the the Friday the 13th spoof is called garden tool massacre and i just wanted to tell you trey i've always had this dream if i ever get to make a slasher film the slasher killer would use a a weed a weed eater weed weed whacker (laughs) Uh, absolutely i think that would be such a brutal movie and and his name my slasher killer's name would be uncle butch (laughs) because that was my my dad's brother went by the nickname butch and i just thought that was so funny Uncle Butch, and he would be a, a weed whacker killer. So, I one of these days, if anybody wants to finance that project, like if you got some rich listeners, Trey, and and they would like to hire you and me to put together a slasher film, we'll we'll do it, and we'll put this out here, and it'll be like a garden tool, tool massacre too. You know, I'm surprised that never happened. I'm surprised that a weed eater was never used. Yeah, I mean, there has been. I think there was one scene of a weed eater and it was brief, but it was in a really low budget horror movie. So yeah, it hasn't been out there, but if you think about how excruciating that would be, it would be really oh, yeah. ooh, It'd be a- cringy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It'd be a bad way to least lose some skin. You know, I think about that all the time when I'm changing the, the line in it while it's still running and I'm like, <laughs> this oh. thing goes haywire. Yeah. Yeah. No way. <laughs> That's a good point, but Mm-hmm. All right, Jay. Well, does, is that all you have on the eighty-eight blob? Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, I, I was, I was just gonna say too. There's one. Sorry, I'm just like no, Mister. No, no, keep right talking about things. Continue. Um, there, I love. There's a setup and payoff that feels very eighties in this film that has to do with a a jump, a stunt jump, and and that was such an eighties kind of thing. I mean, we've seen like this oh, yeah. in so many eighties <laughs> movies. And I, I just love that little moment, too. But anyways, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for you. OK, so what are your thoughts on this one? I guess wrapping up. OK, you know, I because it I think it pays enough credit or tribute to the original film. I think, you know, you can recognize where this came from. So I appreciate that. But it also does its own thing. It captures the magic of 80s horror cinema. And it's a lot of fun. My kids actually had a blast. My my son, Spawn of the Dead, he he's he told me when it was over, he's like, that was a nine out of ten. So he <laughs> lo- he loved it. He rated it a nine. And and my daughter, who's not a horror fan yet, I'm working on it. She's like, I'm like, what'd you think? She's like, that oh, was pretty fun. It was, it was a pretty good time. And I'm like, that's right. So yeah, I actually really enjoyed this. You know, in terms of I know I said that I appreciate the earlier blob more, I guess, in terms of the execution of what this is. 
but like which film is more fun which film are you going to pop on this -hmm. would probably be the one that i think most people would pop on so yeah i I give it like a 7.5 out of 10 actually there's a nice blu-ray release of this thing and and i i got that That screen factory yeah screen factory and it's and it's amazing so i got that and um i'd recommend it so i say 7.5 and i'd say buy it yeah, I'm uh, right there with you as far as I don't know. I've seen the original blob a couple times now, and I don't know if I'll ever go back to it. <laughs> but I could see myself in a few years maybe going back to this one. Mm-hmm. And I don't have it yet, but I would recommend people to buy this one for sure. And I can pretty much recommend this one without hesitation to any fans of 80s horror films and the like. Yeah. And yeah. Trey, one last note. Sorry, um, I, I do. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but... You know, for whatever reason, I didn't really pick up on Shawnee Smith until Saw, the first Saw movie. And for some reason, I always associate her with that and Armageddon because she has this quick little scene in Armageddon. Mm-hmm. But she is our our lead gal in this. Mm-hmm. And I had totally spaced. I totally forgot that. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, this girl <laughs> has some horror cred. She's been in the scene for many years. So that's cool. Yep. No, absolutely. I think she thinks she does a great job here. So, but yeah, let's go ahead and move on to the body snatcher movies, the invasion of the Mm -hmm. body snatchers, um, as both of these are titled and we can start with 56. Let me go ahead and set it up before we get into anything. A very small synopsis for this one. And this is directed by Don Siegel, who actually did quite a bit and not really in the horror realm, but much more well-known than our past two directors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dirty Harry movies, right? Yep. And I don't know, how do you feel about this tagline, Jay? There was nothing to hold on to except each other. Mm. Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not feeling that one, Trey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I've got here, a small-town doctor learns that the population of his community is being replaced by emotionless alien duplicates. Short and straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I can get down with that. The the thing here is, and this is what you were alluding to definitely earlier, is this is 100% McCarthyism and the Red Scare and that domino theory of communism in full effect in this film. Yes. Would you? Yep. Yep. Because, um, and if people don't know, in the time, people were getting blacklisted. I believe, like, Charlie Chaplin got blacklisted from Hollywood, correct? I, I think so. Yeah, a lot of stars did. Yeah, people were getting blacklisted because they were suspected of being, it's a, it's a witch hunt, right? It's it um, the Salem witch trials. It's, oh, I saw you consorting with the devil in the woods, so you have to be murdered. Here, you're just, you know, kind of shunned from society. Mm-hmm. But I think an important thing here, Jay, is I think the message of this film still hits just as hard today, especially where we have so much partisan politics from anyone. If someone doesn't believe in something that you do, you know, you sick the dogs after them and you shame them and you kind of (laughs) try to cancel them as it's become known. But I just think this film hits just as true today as it did back in the 50s. Absolutely. Uh, I'm with you 100 percent. Yeah. And and I felt that way as well when I revisited the original blob from the 50s, because I'm like, yeah, this all feels very relevant and familiar Mm -hmm. right now. So, yes. Yeah, we're in that point of the cycle where we're lining up with the uh, the late 50s here, or yes. the 50s in general. But um, I just mm-hmm. think the story of this movie is so gripping and it's so tense and has so much suspense, like kind of layered into it. And I think that's mm-hmm. really what has 
to me, kept this as like a timeless classic. Yes. Yeah, I got to back you. In fact, I just want to tell the listeners, I mean, if you're if you're starting, I, I imagine, of course, if you listened to uh, Trey's podcast here, that of course you probably appreciate like horror cinema and the history of cinema. So I'm sure you go back into all these movies anyway. But if you were just going to watch one film from this episode, this is the one mm-hmm. for me. Like this is the gem of the night. I cannot believe how captivating this is. Yes. Even even still, because I'm one of those people that if it's slower, if it's black and white, I'm sorry to admit this. I mean, it's embarrassing, but I'm one of those people that's like, you know, I'm, I'm it's harder to keep me interested. And but but no, I was enthralled the whole time. Yeah. And the paranoia in this film is just crippling almost as a viewer when you're watching it. Uh, mm-hmm. It takes that what you were talking about earlier and kind of amplifies it to 11 with the you know, no one's believing you. Who can you trust? The people that aren't pod people, are they going to believe you? The people that are, how are you going to know if they are or not? It's just so, it's just crazy. It's like, you know, there's an alien among us, but we don't know. Yes. And and in fact, what's really, there are two things that really upset me about this film in, in a good way, in a horror way. Number one is, even when they are taken over and they they have become the pod person, they can still, in this film, they can still behave pretty convincingly. Like mm-hmm. even even their mannerisms aren't quite as um, zombie-like as we see, you know, in the later film. And and that's really startling because I think that really tears into the heart of the concept, the main horror concept here, which is what happens when those you love are not, they turn against you and they're not people who love you anymore. And, I mean, that's why uh, zombies are scary. You know, because there's always that moment in zombie films when, you know, there's a zombie coming after you, but that is somebody you loved dearly and you don't want to destroy them. And if you don't, they're going to kill you. And that is true horror. And and I think that's a great concept that we have here in this film. It really underscores that. Absolutely. Can you just imagine, though, Jay, like being on the run and you're just running and you you sympathize with the characters like there's a point where they're just running and there's like no escape from it. They don't know if they're ever going to get a break from this. Right. And and Trey, like what struck me the most, because, again, it has been literally decades since I've watched this original Invasion of the Body Snatchers and even the 78 one. It's been a while. Like the, the most recent one I watched was like the. What was it? And then the Nicole Kidman 2007 invasion or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. But I had forgotten completely that they they couldn't fall asleep. And yeah. and I had always for many years, I had been attributing, you know, that concept to like this stroke of genius with a nightmare on Elm Street, because it's like, oh, they got to stay awake. And that is such a great horror concept, because if you if you go see this movie and you get freaked out by it and then you have a nightmare about Freddy you know, and plus that's super scary because nobody can stay awake forever. Well, they were doing that concept back in 1956. So that's really cool. Yeah. Are you going to talk about that? And I love to talk about impact and how it's infected, infected, not infected um, the industry. Yeah. You're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street, but mm-hmm. look at the ripples. How many we still have this created pretty much a whole genre. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think there was anything like this before. Think of something like the Stepford Wives. Yeah. 
where's that concept coming from? Um, even today with movies like, and these are smaller indie movies, but something like Snatchers that came out a couple years ago and Assimilate, which very different movies, one's serious, one's horror comedy, mm-hmm. but we're still getting movies out now that have this same general concept. And that was back in the mid fifties. Yeah. That we got Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, and, and in fact, even even the, the concept of zombies turning and um, you know, vampires turning, like like the concept of somebody you love losing them to some sort of monstrosity. And I've always thought that plays well as a metaphor if we're talking about addiction, for example. I mean, that's a great horror metaphor for like something like mm-hmm. addiction or abusiveness or or whatever. I mean, there are so many things that you could you could tie into this concept. But, Absolutely. It's oh, oh sorry. I was just going to say in terms of like the uh, source material, I think so there was um body, the body snatchers novel by Jack Finney. Right. And, and I mm-hmm. think that came out, I'm just trying to look it up here. I think it was in yeah 1954. So yeah, I think maybe that novel is the origin uh, you know of this it stuff it is Jay. okay yep I just, okay yep. good just to check it <laughs> yeah um no that's absolutely but still we're talking about how often do you successfully translate and maybe they did it more so back then mm-hmm. but literary medium to the film oh yeah um and i think they do it masterfully yes, absolutely yep and how funny is it that we're talking about this is like a stand in for McCarthyism and our lead actor is Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. <laughs> That's something I kind of thought of. I'd never connected that before. That is great. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't occur to me either, but that's hilarious. <laughs> yep. Nice. What do you think about, what do you think about the method that they use to convert people with these like shapeless forms and all that kind of thing in the pods themselves? It's super creepy. I mean, it's really kind of unsettling when they first when they first uncover the the body on the the billiard table and they're d- discussing it and taking the uh, non-existent fingerprints and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, this is this is a little creepy, honestly. Like, it, it, if you because I always when I watch a film, I put myself in the position of the characters and I I kind of I kind of live through it with them. That's the way I watch movies and why I get so involved emotionally. And this would be very disturbing, especially if you saw that thing starting to look like you, right? Yes, absolutely. I wouldn't know what to do. That's like, that's terrifying to think of. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well, I don't know if I want to destroy it because if I hurt it, will it hurt me? If I harm it, you know, like, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we we get that here a little bit, right, with Dr. Bennell when he's going to destroy these things in the greenhouse. Mm -hmm. And you can see a moment of hesitation before he goes through with it. So, and I don't even think it's for himself. I think it's for, you know, the love interest in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you would do in that situation. That's the thing is, I don't know how... I don't know how you'd get out of either of these situations with the blob or the body snatchers. It's just very hard to think of a way out. Yeah, for sure. Especially, you know, once it becomes like endemic and then pandemic and it's everywhere. I mean, the, mm-hmm. and especially since in this particular film, you have to stay awake. And if you don't, because everybody, mm-hmm. everybody sleeps, you have to. <laughs> so, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, you might be able to go out on an island somewhere and avoid the blob. Right. right? But um, they're going to get to you eventually with the body snatchers because it just seems like it grows so fast. Yes. What are your thoughts? I want to gauge your thoughts on the the opening and how that ties in the ending and how you feel that whole. And I'm just talking about the very, very ending, you know, past our little twist that we get so okay, okay do you know what i'm talking yeah, about Jay? yeah i think so are, are you referring to like the way this story is told kind of the the, the wrap around yes through like the doctor's yeah. office yeah and, i actually yeah. really like that about this because i liked how in the beginning we experience what other people in the film experience where it's like okay this dude's crazy he's like flipping out right now but then but then he calms down and he's like no i'm not crazy i'm a doctor too and then and then they actually do something in this film, which a lot of people don't do in these kind of movies, is they listen to him, which is yes. really nice. So so mm -hmm. as we hear him unfold this, and, and I love seeing how he was skeptical himself and how he's a man of science and, and, and you know, he tries to be prudent and wise in his judgments. And so it's really neat, I think, through that narrative device to see it unfold through his storytelling and so I actually really enjoyed that aspect and even where it goes at the end. Absolutely, Jay. And I, I don't know how much else I've got to say on this film because I feel like we could go on forever and ever. But what other what other points you got in your notes that you want to kind of hit on? Hmm. Yeah, I think um, honestly, I think that's just about okay. it. I mean, I, I think the pods look really cool in here. I will say that. In in these movies, like the oozing pods are kind of creepy. Mm. I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's just something about that it's that's unnatural. kind of unsettling. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like no, no, we we don't come from those. <laughs> yes, no, <laughs> right? Yeah this this movie kind of hits you in all the ways to just give you fear on different levels. I mean, you can't fall asleep. You can't outrun it. You you know you're afraid of how quickly it's spreading and how quick it could spread mm -hmm. you're afraid no one's going to believe you it's just it hits fear on so many levels with this film yes so um in closing on that one jay what do you uh what do you do as far as recommendations on this thing oh well see this for me honestly and this is all about the storytelling the way it unfolds this is a nine out of ten mm -hmm. and i don't love black and white movies but this <laughs> is a nine and this is a buy for sure so now most horror like a lot of the listeners out there again i i really i bet your audience loves and appreciates older cinema so i bet you it's a buy for them too like a young mtv generation kind of fan you know like it's it's a must see at least once for you but for mm -hmm. me it's a buy nine out of ten i feel like we're in pretty much lockstep on these recommendations jay because mm -hmm. i fall in around that same i call this a must watch it is where I didn't necessarily believe 58 Blob is a horror classic, I think this is a horror classic. Yes. But I think this is a really good film. I think it's one of the very best of the decade. Yes. And yeah, if you don't if you haven't seen this one, you need to get out and see it. If you have seen this one, you need to own it. So so uh Trey, don't tell don't tell Greg Amortis I said this. Okay. <laughs> I th <laughs> I know where you're this going. is this is probably gonna get me kicked <laughs> off of uh your podcast and like kicked out of the horror realm and community. But here's the thing. Halloween nineteen seventy eight, John Carpenter's Halloween is a great film, of course. Is it a horror classic? Yes. But I'm just saying I I come in on that and people always give me grief. That's a 7.5 out of me. I think it's a good film. I do think it's slow and it's a little underwhelming for me personally. 
this film I gave a nine. I think that Invasion of the Body Snatchers 1956 is actually a stronger film for me than Halloween 1978. Just putting it out there. Oh, Jay, always have to stir up the masses. Always got a boat uh, rock. (laughs) (laughs) No, here's the thing, Jay. You're never going to get crap from me. Halloween is my favorite horror movie. Oh, okay. You're never going to get crap from me, though. Because here's the thing is there are plenty of classics that I don't necessarily think are as good as people make them out to be. Mm -hmm. It's just all about taste and how you interpret a film. It's never going to be everyone likes all of the classics. You can pretend and tell yourself you like all the classics, but you're never really going to like all the classics. Trey, are you going to name some names right now? Are you going to... Are you going to rock the boat with me? I'm just wondering. You know what? You, you named a name, and and Frankenstein has never hit with me. Really? The way, okay. the way that the other Universal monster films have. So, hmm. yeah. Um, okay. I'll go ahead and name a name, name with you, Jay. I feel like Fair. that's definitely. And for, to further that point, and I'm going to get crucified on this one, but its sequel, The Bride of Frankenstein, I, I like even less than Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Your listeners are going to be like, Trey, you need to stop hanging out with Jay of the Dead. He's a bad influence. Don't listen to him, that weirdo. Yeah. No, but those, I don't think they're bad movies. I can definitely respect. Same way I'm sure you can respect what Halloween does. Sure. It's just, it's, you don't necessarily love it the way that you like other movies. Right. That's right. Yep. Well said. So, yeah, I'm not going to leave you out there, Jay. Well, thanks. That's right. Believe me, I'm used to it. I mean, they're always coming after me. So, and I deserve it, frankly, I know. So, (laughs) all right, let's, uh, let's get on to our last movie we're going to be talking about here. And it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1978. Nice. And this one's directed by Philip Kaufman. Synopsis reads... The first remake of the paranoid infiltration classic movies, the setting for the invasion from a small town to the city of San Francisco and starts as Matthew Bennell notices that several of his friends are complaining that their close relatives are in some diff- some way different. When questioned later, they themselves seem changed as they deny everything or make lame excuses. All right, I'm going to stop there. Some of these get way too deep, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> but but you get the idea. It's the same premise, except of being in a small town. It's in San Francisco. It's in a big city. Right. I do that all the time, and I tell the listeners, like, I got to stop reading this because it's just, it's too much. Right. I'm with you. <laughs> I like uh, I have always loved the TV guide, like for people who are old like me, the TV guide premises, mm -hmm. they would be like one sentence and it would be like under 10 words. And and that's the kind of premise I love. Yeah. Putting it out there. Yep. No, I used to get those as well. Every Sunday paper, I would be waiting for the the TV guide to circle what I was going to watch for the week. So, (laughs) yes, I'm with you, Jay. Mm -hmm. Um. No, but short and to the point, definitely like that first, like the 56 synopsis was. Yeah. Um, so this film, I feel like, and we're going to go back to the same question I asked you before with the blob. I think this film is struggling whether it wants to separate itself from the original or tie itself back to the original. Because we've got character names that are very similar, but mm-hmm. they're different. And we've got scenes that play out similarly, but they play out different. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't too vague there, and we're transported from a small town to a big city. In this one, a hand gets cut. In this one, a nose is bleeding. You know, so it's kind of plays out the same way, but we have different roles for our characters, too. So what are your thoughts as far as the question I had asked you earlier 
does it make sense to update Invasion of the Body Snatchers? Oh, well, this is, I mean, this is seriously a great question because I, I wrestle with this all the time when it comes to remakes in general, because it's like, it's like, is the, is the original film good enough or strong enough where we need a remake? It's so, well, the answer is no, but I'm not against remakes. I actually like remakes. Like, for example, I love the first Pet Cemetery, 1989. I think that film is incredible. And the remake, you know, I didn't love it as much, but I still was excited to see it and I still appreciated it. And so I am always up for watching a remake. I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974 is my all time favorite horror film. But the Jessica Biel one from 2003, I really like it, too. So this is more of what I love. And so as long as the remake doesn't like totally trash, like like, for example, let me just give you one example real quick, Trey. Sorry about this long winded answer, but like wrong turn, the original wrong turn loved it. (laughs) Okay, and then the the wrong turn from 2021. I'm like, why did you guys call that wrong turn? That this isn't wrong turn, like you know. <laughs> so yep. so with this, I appreciate as as I've said with that other film, you know, with the blobs and stuff. I appreciate how you can see, you know, their similarity, but they're also riffing to create some differences. Yep, I like Wrong Turn 2021. It is not. It doesn't fit into the wrong turn Mm-mm. films. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just heard someone say that the other day, Jay, on a podcast. They were talking about their year end and they said, why was this movie named Wrong Turn? Right. Yeah, because I, I don't yeah. feel it is. And I <laughs> think it's drawn movie. another movie that's drawn a lot of more ire is that 2019 Black Christmas, which people were like, why is this called Black Christmas? Oh, that movie was um, <laughs> awful. <laughs> so I've gone in phases on remakes because... I'm much more receptive to these early remakes, and that's what I'm going to be talking about over the next couple episodes. But oh boy, when we get into those remakes in the aughts, <laughs> it's going to be hard for me to get through through that section talking specifically about some of those movies. Nice. Um, and then I kind of came back around as we turned into the 2010s, and I like a lot of the remakes that were done there. So remakes, I think you just have to go in with an open mind and see how it feels to you. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer like we talked about before. You either mm-hmm. like the film or you don't. Yeah. Like you said, I think as long as it's more of what you enjoy, then you really can't get mad. Right? Well, yeah. And I mean, I think there's a, a loftier purpose, too. It's like, you know, when people love the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre or even this this 1978 film, for example. And by the way, I will put out there in my days in the horror community and podcasting, it seems This is an unofficial poll, but it seems from what I gathered, most people prefer this 78 film. That's their favorite body snatchers Mm -hmm. is what I've what I've heard. But but honestly, anytime a remake is good enough to inspire somebody to go back and watch the original, I really Mm -hmm. I think that's something great. So I appreciate that. What I what I push against, what I really don't like is when people are too precious about things when it's like Mm -hmm. when they're like. Oh no 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 no! Don't remake this film, um, because no, that's my film. It would just it would just you know bother me. I'm not gonna watch. It's like why why are you mad about that? Because it it actually gives more attention to your original film that you love. Yeah, I mean, I was excited for the Suspiria remake. I didn't walk <laughs> away any more excited. But, right. Um, but no, I I think you're right, Jay, and I think that 
sometimes we put too much of like a broad blanket term on remakes. They're all bad or they're all good. We really love the originals. And I, you're absolutely right as far as people flocking towards the 78 as opposed to the 56. And I think we see that a lot. And I'm going to talk about that next episode with The Thing and The Fly and even Cat People. Mm-hmm. Cat People, which I I like Cat People, I think 82 was when that came out. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to go and say that was better than 1942's Cat People. Right. And I think the thing with me, Jay, is I think some people the other way kind of get too revivalist on some of these things, like coming out and saying, you know, I love House of Wax 2005, which that's fine. Yeah. I think that film's got like this buildup of people who maybe were afraid to say they liked at the beginning. I feel like that one's getting a lot of love. Now, if you go and say that you love the Prom Night remake, that's if that starts getting a groundswell, I'm going to have to, you know, maybe drop out of podcasting in general Good. but <laughs> thank you for saying that because i i was not impressed with that by the way like it was like 2009 and i'm like and and i heard a lot of people liking that actually and i'm like what the <laughs> why why do you like this yeah i saw that in the movie theater opening night same and no i was not impressed with prom night the remake no. but we're getting we're getting kind of off track here but yeah sorry i think no 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 so for me overall 78 has never grabbed me the way that the original did mm. i don't know what it is about it i think the cast is phenomenal i think the yes. acting is good in this um mm-hmm. i mean i don't really have a problem with anything in the film it just never grabbed me the way as the original has you know okay i agree with you 100 percent, trey and i think what that is because i i was i love that you said this because i've actually been trying to figure out put my finger on it and this is my attempt i think this is what it is the 1956 film is told with a lot of simplicity. It is very straightforward and direct. Mm-hmm. In this film, the 1978 version has a, a little more nuance. And I think part of that is attributed to this ca- dynamic cast that you mentioned. I mean, we got Donald Sutherland, Jeff Goldblum, Leonard mm-hmm. Nimoy. I mean, Veronica Cartwright. Yeah, I, I mean, I love this cast. Brooke Adams. They are amazing. But I think this has, in, in many, in some ways, I think this is more of a, what's the word? A more sophisticated or, I don't even know if that's the right word. It, maybe it's a little more developed film, but I do yes. feel like there's more nuance to it. And I think that that clouds or muddies the water a little bit. Whereas even though the original film was simpler, it was like just clearer and it could get into your bones easier. Like, for example... There's that Nietzsche quote that it's something like, I always butcher it and I can't find the original. If you ever find this, tell me. But it's it's something like, it is easy to make something big, loud, and complicated. But it is extremely difficult to make something small, simple, and quiet. And mm-hmm. I think that's why, even though this film is more complex than the original, I think the 1956 version is the master of these two because it is it is that amazing combination of small, simple, and quiet. Yeah, and I'll back up your quote with a real life example, Jay. Mm-hmm. And I know you're a music guy, but I'm not sure how much you are into like the um, harder rock or metal scene. But Dimebag Daryl, famous guitarist from Pantera, Bam mm-hmm. Pantera, he was known for creating very simple, very easy to play riffs. But they are some of the most recognizable riffs in all of metal. Or rock. So it's the same kind of concept, right? It's taking that simple design or that simple concept 
and be able to make that stick with people and put it in their minds. Mm-hmm. I've got a note here, Jay, um, mm-hmm. about like there's more backstory in this, right? They get into the aliens' motivations and why they came there right. a little bit. <laughs> and I think that – and they don't get deep into that. They just get a little bit. There's – it's either you don't give us anything or you kind of got to flesh it out a little more. Yeah. Um, I think one of the other things with this is also they take it from that small town, which I love that setting in the first one. Mm-hmm. And you're in this kind of like seedy San Francisco and <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Well done. You see what you did there, sir. That was very clever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But – um. Yeah, so that's that's another thing for me. So I cannot quite put my finger of why this doesn't hit, but I think it's very similar to what you're saying, Jay. I think you're on to something there. Yeah, th- thank you. I, I agree. Yeah, it's just something about, you know, because if you're the other the other side of that, and, and I love that we're actually talking about this, Trey, because I think when it comes to, you've heard people say, when you teach something, the better you understand it, as a teacher, mm-hmm. then the simpler you can teach it, the yep. clearer it is. And and that's what I just love about the original. I just think it's very clear. And, you know, with this one, I do think this one is scarier. Yes. In fact, the the way this film ends, the, the final moment, freaks me out quite a bit. I, I have to say. Like, <laughs> I don't know if that would stri- strike some people as funny. Yeah. But it gives me cold chills and it really disturbs me. Uh, see, it does yeah. nothing for me. I'm one of the people that's done nothing for me. And I think I saw it before I saw the film, Jay. And that's oh, really? that's okay. the problem living in this modern society. Because, you know, as someone who was, you know, like we said, was scared of horror as a kid. I didn't get into mm-hmm. horror until I was in. I got into a little bit of like, you know, wide release horror when I was in high school, of course. But when I was in yeah. college was when I really started to dig in. By that time, you know, it was hard dodging spoilers for some of these movies. Um, right. So I think that lessened the impact. Okay. While we're here, which ending do you like better? Do you like the 78 ending better as far as the final, this final push or final like twist? Yes. Okay. Yes, because um, I remember like the first time I saw it, yeah, I mean, it pulled the rug on me. And it got me. And even <laughs> revisiting it, you know, I felt that that cold tangle, the cold chills down my neck. And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's creepy. You know, it really bothers me. And and what's funny, though, and I won't go into spoilers on this, but I'll just say, Trey, it's amazing that the whole time these aliens tout their um, stoicism. Mm-hmm. In their lack of, you know, <laughs> passions and emotion. Yeah. And 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 yet when, when they have going. like, yes, when they have an alarm that they want to like, you know, signal to one another, it seems very passionate and emotional to me. But anyways. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not going to knock it for that's a very, I think the build up to that scene is very well done. And I mm-hmm. think it's very impactful the way they do it. Because the 56, like everything else is much more nuanced and it's kind of twist ending. Right. But I think that's all about 78, right? That's just the times they're, you know, they're putting more violence in there. They're, I think like when they show scenes of like these, the pod people coming out of the pods and developing, I think it's pretty disgusting. I think it's a pretty good effect. Yes, it is. But, you know, we've got more of that stuff. We've got to push it up to the new age, but I'm not going to fault you for liking 78 because that's, I think it's a much more developed and earned ending. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah, I mean the uh the 56 ending 
is is it's a little abrupt and it's disturbing and but but it's it's almost like you can you you can anticipate mm-hmm. it whereas this one i think is cloaked better yeah it's more sad than anything really oh, in the yeah, 56 sure. one but sure. yeah but i think it's things like i think they almost have me in the 78 one jay and upon rewatch, I was hoping like, hey, I hope it's going to hit this time. But there's things like when there's hordes of these things, there's a scene of where there's hordes of these things like coming, like descending on a building. And I'm like, oh, are we going to get this for the rest of the movie? Because I didn't remember what had happened. And we we don't. We just get it that one time and it's gone. And there's another trick later on in the movie, which I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. That's kind of mm-hmm. this startling, freaky thing. And yeah. that's kind of a one off, too. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, What else you got? What else yeah. you got on this one, Jay? <laughs> I'll quit rambling. No, no. Like I, I, I think I know when you when you were talking about the freaky thing. Are, are we talking about? Um, I'll just say one word: banjo. Is that? Yeah. Is that? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I remember the first time I saw that. I, I, I really, I kind of appreciate that. But I remember, um, anticipating something very different, mm-hmm. and and that's why that was pretty fun because it was like. You know, I was expecting a right hook and they got me with a left cross and it was like, boom, you know, and, and so that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, just one more thing about the cast. I just have to say, like, I love I'm nuts about Jeff Goldblum. I love his mm-hmm. delivery and and just seeing him in this film just absolutely amazes me. And Donald Sutherland, he's a very talented actor. I've never for whatever reason, I've never been a huge fan of his. But oh, in really? this film. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a great actor. You know how some people just bug you? So for some reason, he bugs me, but but he is exceptional in this movie. And he's even got some game with the ladies, <laughs> I have to say. He's got some mad game. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, especially and ones Leonard that are Nimoy. married, right? What'd you say? Especially ones that are married, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and Leonard Nimoy, you know, mostly I only remember seeing him as, you know, Mr. Spock in Star Trek movies. And so seeing him, with round ears and not pointy ears throws me <laughs> off. But aside from that, his his shrink character, this psychiatrist, Dr. Kibner, is exceptional and really well done. He is he is very convincing as this doctor. And as you listen to his like psychobabble in the movie and stuff, as he goes on in his theories and blah, 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 I found myself wanting to just you know, just follow anything he said. It's like, oh, this guy should be my shrink. He's amazing, really talented. No wonder he's a published, you know, published doctor and all that. So anyway, that casting is great for him. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about the cast is uh, Kevin McCarthy and oh, yeah. uh, Don Siegel both have like have a, cameos, you know, little cameos in this. And that's kind of cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, I yeah, I don't want to say anything else, but I thought there was going to be a connection the first time I watched this movie. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and maybe there is, maybe this is the, the gradual, like, right. of it, but <laughs> that'd be crazy. Yep. But, uh, talking about Donald Sutherland, Jay, have you seen Don't Look Now? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love that movie. Uh, oh, you do? Yeah, I do. I actually, you're surprising me, Jay. <laughs> I, I know. I know. I'm very, I'm, yeah, I'm very, I know. I'm very, I mean, I think that film is so disturbing and, you know, recently that was actually Recently, we did a Criterion uh, mm-hmm. giveaway, and that was going to be the one I was going to do. But that Criterion disc for that is currently out of out of print right now. But you can still get the Blu-ray, and so yeah, I ordered I ordered the Blu-ray just so I'd have it, and I need to revisit it again. But I remember the first time I saw that I was in college, and there is just something extremely unsettling to me mm-hmm. about that movie. But anyways. 
But yeah, he's good in that one too. He's also good in uh, the Italian job, of course, right? <laughs> but but anyways, yeah, Donald Sutherland's in there. Yeah. No, that's an upsetting beginning to that movie. Yeah. Um, yes. And it's funny, when I was first watching these, because I told you, Jay, I got in late. Some weekends when I was just out of college, when I was just out of college and just starting working, I would watch like eight, nine horror movies in a weekend. And for some reason, wow. I would have these like marathons. <laughs> I don't know why, but legit Trey is legit y'all, but I was catching up. I had a lot of catching up to do, yeah. but I, I always got, con- I always got don't look now and Alice, sweet Alice confused for some reason. And I think it's the raincoat. Oh yeah. And I don't know why those are two very different films right. and I love both of them, but yeah, that was just a fun peek inside my my brain there well i back you though and i'm with you like people out there if you haven't seen don't look now or alice sweet alice both of those yep i know you love to champion alice sweet alice and it needs it but um all right well what are you Uh, yeah just a couple things if i may um so back something that this does that i think is really powerful remember how in the first film we were talking about that concept of you know a loved one being changed and not being a loved one anymore even though it looks like the person that you love they're different well Mm -hmm. in this film i think that's fleshed out even more on like a more sophisticated level and it goes into the concept of how people can change in relationships over time and you know that's a that's a very disturbing thing i mean you know, I'll, I'll just put it out there. I mean, I was married like 16 and a half years and now I'm divorced and and it wasn't about changing, but being in a relationship for that long, I have seen myself, you know, how I have changed and how my spouse had changed over those years. And in real life, it's weird because the, the change happens slower in people than it does in this film, of course, but that can be very frightening because sometimes people can drift apart or change who they are in such a way that they don't necessarily fit together anymore. And and that's terrifying, and that's a real-life horror kind of challenge that that's, you know, human beings have. And I think it's very cool how this film does, it depicts that metaphor, that metaphor and illustrates it right here before us, especially with Elizabeth and um, Jeffrey. Yeah. You know, that's what I love about Jay of the Dead is you you might make me rattle some cages <laughs> and uh, make me some admit some things on this mm-hmm. podcast. But you're always putting it all out there on the line. Right. And connecting it back to your own personal experiences and how yeah. uh, things affect you personally. So that's yeah, that's a very good point that I never really connected. Well, thank you. Yeah. Like, yeah, horror. Um, And, and I'm, I'm sure this happens with you and, you know, all the listeners it's just interesting how it can tap into our our lives, like the the, the primal, <laughs> you know, fears that we might have or like yep. the bad experiences we've had. So that's pretty amazing. Another thing I want to just love about this film and celebrate. And, and I think when I saw this before, which has been a long time, I didn't catch this joke before, but I really got it this time. The Jeff Goldblum character is sending someone back into this this place where they do these mud spa baths. And, and he said, did you check the last booth on the left? And I just thought that was so funny that they put the last booth on the left, riffing on the last house on the left. That was so awesome. Oh, <laughs> I do remember him saying that, but I didn't connect that. Yeah, yeah. That was a little nod to the last house on the left, which is so funny. I burst out laughing. And then <laughs> I also love the, the space flower 
conversation because Mm -hmm. in my opinion, and maybe this is wrong, Trey, you can tell me if you think this is wrong, but I feel like this movie does an important thing that a lot of films fail to do. If there's something ridiculous in your movie and you know, it's ridiculous and you know, people are going to like hammer on this one thing. Maybe there's like a chink in the armor. There's something that, you know, about your movie that's a little bit silly. Maybe if people just, acknowledge it if the filmmakers acknowledge it with like a throwaway line or something then you can move past it because it's it's almost like the filmmakers are saying to the audience okay yeah we we know yeah this is kind of weird but let's just move on you know like onward and upward mm-hmm. well in this film their little conversation about the space flower does exactly that and i think that's very cool so i appreciated that yeah jay i mm-hmm. think you're i think you're right on and now that i'm thinking about and kind of thinking about everything that goes with this. This is much more grounded in science, right? Mm-hmm. It's much more of that science part of the science fiction. Yes. Whereas 56, you know, we don't get a lot of explanation and I'm okay with just going with that because I think it's scarier kind of not knowing. Would I like a fully fleshed out sequel where they go into why the pod people are coming? Right. I don't know if I would. But yeah, I think that's a main difference between the two is like you're saying, they're kind of rooting this in reality as much as possible. You know, we're still talking about pod people coming from another planet, (laughs) but they're trying to root it as much as they can. I know you appreciate those kind of nods where they kind of justify things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I I guess just a a couple other real quick things, because I don't want to talk your leg off all night, Trey, but um, (laughs) like I love how in the sound design for this film, they got. I've had a lot of cardi, cardiac echo, echocardiograms done in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and they have like the sound of an echocardiogram machine, like listening to a heartbeat. And I think it's a baby heartbeat because it goes pretty fast. And so mm-hmm. they have that in the soundtrack, which, which like depicts the pods heart beating, which is really cool. And it, it's exactly the echocardiogram of a baby's heartbeat. Something that drove me just absolutely nuts about this movie, especially, I think it's a, I think it's a greater weakness in this film, but I do think it's a weakness of both um, invasion films. And it's that it's so dumb how the characters, they, it's like they almost, it never clicks with them that, Hey, maybe I just need to stop assuming that everyone is not a pod person and just assume that everyone is infected because it's like every single time Donald Sutherland's character talks to somebody new, you know, it, it it doesn't even occur to him that he could be talking to an imposter. And, um, I mean, this happens over and over and it's a little tiresome in this. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yep. Yep. I agree with you there. So I will say, I wanted to say something about the banjo player guy. So this is, this is not, what happens in the film. So this is not a spoiler, but I, I just want to tell you this trick. The first, I remember the first time seeing this, I'm like, okay, this, this banjo player and his dog, this is really cool because they're going to use this relationship with this, these close, this guy and his dog, they're going to use this to demonstrate how the, the dog can perceive. I thought it was a setup and payoff mm-hmm. and that they were going to show the dog growling at his banjo owner. You know, if that guy got taken over, and I was waiting yeah. on that, but, but that's not that's not where it goes. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> no. OK, so that's the that's the right you were waiting on when they hit you with the left. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then and then the last thing I'll say, and I'll, I'll stop talking everybody's leg off. I think that one of the main 
themes in this film that is executed. Like, I mean, I think this film brings a little more maturity, like I said, sophistication to the themes even that they're delivering. And I think it's because it shows us how mortality, there's an inevitability about aging and our death. And I think it's a great metaphor for that. It's like, even though none of us wants to get old and die, we're all going to. And like in this film, it's like, hey, it's inevitable. We all have to sleep and you're going to go to sleep. So don't fight it. It's not that bad, you <laughs> yeah. know. And and I just kept thinking of aging and death. And that's exactly how we feel and resist and fear death. I mean, because this dude, Donald Sutherland's character is fighting for everything he's worth mm -hmm. to survive and not be taken over by these pod people. And I think, yep, that's what we do in this life, too. We fight to survive and not die. Yeah. A lot of existential dread going on there, Jay, that you're right, right. <laughs> you're putting out there. But yeah, no, I think with both films and the body snatchers, it's the same thing. It's like, how long do you want to fight for before you just kind of go back to whatever the inevitability is and just accept it? Yes. Yep. So well said. Yes. Yes. Hope hopeless it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. All right, Jay. So is that all you got on 78? Yes. Thanks for letting me ramble on, sir. Oh, no problem. Seems like you had a lot to say about that one. So <laughs> I'm always interested to hear other perspectives. Thank you. So what do you come in as far as a recommendation on this one? Yeah, I think this is a great 70s film. And I love how it has that creepy 70s vibe, too. There's something about 70s horror that gets yes. under my skin. You know, 80s horror is fun. But there's mm -hmm. something about 70s horror that's like chilling and uh this has it and so this is an eight out of ten for me and uh, i'm calling this a buy it so i think you should i mean i think people should buy and own both of these films but yeah this is an eight and i think people would definitely enjoy this film what do you say yeah so jay i think this whole episode we might be out of line a little bit when we're talking in depth on the films but my recommendations uh -huh. come in pretty much right where you are, maybe a little lower, a little higher every time. Um, okay. I'm saying this is m more than just a one-time watch. I think for a lot of people, this would be a must-see. For m me, myself, I can say you can watch this one without any hesitation um, if you're looking for a horror movie. And I'll probably never buy it myself, but um, I do enjoy the movie. And yeah, I guess I'm I'm right right about where you are, Jay. I think it's a really good, well-made horror film. It's just never completely clicked for me. Yeah. As far gotcha. as to make it to the next like level up as like the 1956 film did. Right. But, right. Yeah. Well, if you and if you don't mind me asking, um so you're, you so you said you're an 8 then on that too? It, I'm around uh if I was I don't typically give scores on here, but if oh, I'm okay, given a sorry. score, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You're fine, Jay. Okay. <laughs> so I think with this one, I come in around a seven. Okay. Myself. Gotcha. So. You, you know what's funny about that, Trey, is like Dr. Shock over the years, because like he and I have podcasts together for like 11 years now, something like that. Mm -hmm. And like he basically got to the point because I was I've been asking him for number ratings for so long. Like for a long time, he used to say, well, not that, uh, I mean, not that this arbitrary number matters or something like he would always say something like that. But then, but then he stopped just, 
you know, fighting me on it. <laughs> he just says the number without, without, um, so I oh. harass everybody. So I apologize. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's nothing like, it's nothing like that, Jay. Usually okay. I'm just not in a position where I'm talking about a movie in specifics enough where I'm giving a rating because I, I'm an accountant, Jay. I love numbers. Yes. Um, and I, nice. I, constantly am logging stuff on letterbox so it's not that i just typically don't when i'm talking about history and stuff get into long cool. th- these episodes are a little bit different because we are kind of getting into it but yeah i'm around a seven on this to give okay. people because i feel the same way jay is i wasn't mm-hmm. kind of clear when i'm trying to give my recommendation on this particular film <laughs> um okay so i no, that's where i would come in i gotcha well if if i can ask you a question about these four films real quick trey if you don't mind yeah how do you feel like what's your opinion like let's say you got a new a new horror fan that's trying to catch up on mm-hmm. all the stuff do you feel like i mean especially if this horror fan is younger let's say you got like a 20 year old person and i know there are 20 year olds 20 year olds out there who are like appreciate the classics and black and white and mm-hmm. subtitle films and all that stuff i know we have like cinephiles everywhere but just assuming that a younger viewer might be less patient for the classics if you were going to recommend people see the invasion films or the blob are you are you telling them and this probably goes back to your first question but are you telling them see the blob 88 but see invasion 1956 (laughs) Uh, see that's the question right jay because here's the thing with that is you are absolutely right and i'm wired i've always been wired to not mind older things Mm mm-hmm I'm very interested in history and I don't care. I will watch an older film even since mm-hmm. I was younger um, growing up with my grandparents watching reruns of sitcoms like I Love Lucy and things like that. So yeah. I've always kind of been just wired that way. Nice. But for a lot of people, it's harder to go back. Right. And a lot of horror fans particularly. But once you let that genie out of the bottle, are you going to if you watch 78 first and then you get five, six years down the road and you decide, OK, well, I'm going to try to get into some older stuff. The first one you see is going to be the one that leaves the impression, right? I saw The Ring before I saw Ringu, and The Ring Mm -hmm. is way higher for me than Ringu. Same Um, here. Does that happen every time? No. And are these films different enough? I think with The Blob, they're different enough to where (laughs) I don't think it matters. I think you can see 88 and see 58, and they can stand on their own. With Body Snatchers, I don't know. I, I guess... I guess maybe you could start with 78. I think they the main story beats are enough different that you could probably appreciate both of them. But once you see that full on horror of the 1978 one, are you going to appreciate the more subtle stuff in 56? Mm, yeah. So I know I kind of danced around that, Jay, but. Right. No, it's it's tricky. And that's what I'm trying to figure out with my kids. It's like uh, I was trying to actually think about. I think I'm going to show them Invasion 56 first. Mm hmm. You know, so they get the concept because it's simpler, as we said, it's more direct and then show them 78. Yeah. And here's the thing, Jay, is I think, honestly, if you're showing and that's why, you know, a lot of parents show their kids the black and white films, one, because they're less violent and less like sexual stuff and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think kids and don't quote me on this. I'm not like a child psychologist or anything, (laughs) but I think kids are much more receptive when they're younger to watching older things. And if cool. you show them the older things when they're younger, they're much more likely to appreciate that stuff when they're older and kind of digging into other things. That's my nice. personal opinion. I think that's how I was. I didn't mind, you know, my dad always said my favorite films growing up. I watched 
you know, when I was four or five years old, I constantly was watching Godzilla and Planet of the Apes. Nice. So, I mean, I think it's a thing where kids, you know, what you see is what you're going to get. That's what your your first impression of something. So I think kids mm-hmm. are just much more receptive to seeing the older stuff than some of us adults are if we haven't gotten to it or we didn't watch that growing up. You know, if you just watch contemporary films growing up your whole life and then you go back and try to watch the black and white stuff later, you might gain an appreciation for that or you might just it might just not be good enough for you. Mm hmm. Yeah, and, and I've probably done that wrong with them. I probably did <laughs> too much of the contemporary stuff because, yeah, like a few months ago, I'm like, okay, today we're watching Bringing Up, Bringing Up Baby, right? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what? This black and white? I'm like, shut up. There's a leopard in it, you know, like. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, to give you a direct comparison, I mean, once you watch Cat People 1982, are you going to go want to go watch Cat People 1942? Those are completely different films. Right. That's true. And I know like the Val Luton stuff in particular is kind of hard to get into. Yeah. 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 I don't know, Jay. I think that's a thing horror fans have been asking themselves about what they do to their right. kids like for ages and, and maybe it's case by case with the film and with the kid you know absolutely because like for example i would have never started my boy on you know the thing from another world no i started him with john carpenter's the thing mm-hmm. of course you know mm-hmm. so and i wouldn't start him with the fly <laughs> of 1958 or 57 whenever that is either right <laughs> right um, so yeah that's a very very big question you got there for you know 12 30 <laughs> on a sunday night 12 30 a.m that's <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> uh, all right jay was there anything else you wanted to say about any of these movies before we wrap up no thank you this has been a blast i've really enjoyed getting to revisit these and talk with them with a knowledgeable film history scholar like you sir <laughs> <laughs> I, I try my best i'm not a scholar but i try my best but i appreciate that jay um mm-hmm. yeah it's been interacting all these years it's kind of surreal to kind of finally get to talk and uh go over some films with you yeah, thank you. It's fun. Yep. Jay, you want to go ahead and tell everyone where they can find you if they want to hear more? Sure. Thank you. I, I love that. Um, you got a brand new show really proud of. It's called Jay of the Dead's New Horror Movies. It's at uh, newhorrormovies.com or anywhere you subscribe to podcasts. I'm on there with Dr. Shock, Mr. Watson, Gilman Joel, and Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop. And, um, yeah, we're we're coming out with uh, episode three soon. I mean, it's a brand new show, but I hope people will check it out. I'm also at horrormovieweekly.com with Mr. Watson again and Projectile Varmint, Susie. And I don't know. Do you know Susie, by the way? Trey, have you no. gotten to interact with her? No, and I I might have back on like the old HMP comment sections maybe once yes. or twice, but it would have been a long time ago. Yeah, that's actually where I met her and She's awesome. I, I'm really a big fan of hers, and she's a lot of fun. So, yeah, people can hear her on HorrorMovieWeekly.com. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I do Considering the Cinema over there with um, Count Macula, Mac Robbins. And uh, from time to time, once a month, Dave Becker has uh, an episode that he releases of the DVD Infatuation podcast through there. And if you want a real – if you're a cinephile and you want a meal, like a gourmet meal about movies – you got to listen to Dave's show over there. And then lastly, if you want just total chaos, <laughs> I, I'm on moviepodcastweekly.com and it is the clown car of movie podcasting. <laughs> but thank you for having me, Trey. This has been a lot of fun and I'm 
I really appreciate being part of your show tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on, Jay. And I anything that Jay's done, I've loved. So please check him out. I can't imagine many people listening to this haven't heard hasn't heard any of your stuff, Jay. But if you haven't, go check out Jay wherever. So thank you. As far as the show's plugs, first of all, I wanted to mention that I did guest recently and should be out by the time this episode drops on an episode of Phantom Galaxy podcast uh, with Nathan Bartlebaugh and Bill Van Vegel and Vicious Victor over there. (laughs) And we did our top 10 non-horror movies of 2021. So anything that's not a horror movie uh, was fair game there. And uh, the rules aren't necessarily followed. There's a couple ties. There's a... (laughs) (laughs) things like that Mm -hmm. but um yeah it's a fun episode so go check that out we recorded for hours on that so that's a that's a good time i'm definitely Um, gonna listen to that thank you i'm I'm excited about that one yeah i appreciate those guys having me on Mm -hmm. they're cool as far as plugs um i've got the usual stuff of you can follow the podcast over on twitter at screaming ages i've got my email if you want to send me an email address screaming through the ages at yahoo.com and the website where all the episodes are housed um, is screaming through the ages.com. And as always, we're on almost every podcast service. So go check it out and subscribe over there, wherever you listen. But I've been a little busy this past weekend of when we were recording. Um, I started up a Facebook group for screaming through the ages. So go ahead and join over there. I'm doing some trivia based on stuff we're covering on the episodes every once in a while and talking about broader horror topics and, Then the other thing I had started this weekend was a YouTube channel where I go into (laughs) some of my collection and it's called In the Archives. And that's kind of a backwards way of how we got to the YouTube channel, Jay. I didn't set out and be like, hey, I want to start a YouTube channel. Right. (laughs) But I sit down and record this. I got this idea to like go through some of these movies that I have in my collection that we've been talking about in the episode and kind of go over the Blu-ray and what's in it. Nice. And that went on for about 12 minutes in the first one because I was catching up on the last chapter uh, that that we did and uh turns out you can't get that video to any social media any other way because it's just too big so i created a little youtube page that i'm going to link in my social media and i'm going to do that maybe once a week where i just pick a blu-ray or two and um, go over the features and kind of the cover art and all that stuff and what's included with it that is great you're a a prolific (laughs) film critic sir i'm just yeah i've been amazed i was telling trey before we started recording he is He's put out some uh, just so much content. You're doing you're doing a great job. Yeah, I just got an itch to uh to do the Facebook thing. And then I was like, well, I want to kind of I've always had this idea of kind of going into some of these rarer movies I have and talking about them. And turns out that's not an easy thing to share. So I was <laughs> I got roped into more than I bargained for this weekend. <laughs> but, you know. but we'll see. Uh, so let me know. Um, you can. Go to any of those, and please, if you're enjoying the show, share with your friends, leave a review on podcasting service that you listen to. Other than that, uh, I will catch you guys on the next time. Oh, I should probably plug what I'm doing the next time. So this is going to be a very short chapter. Next one's going to be wrapping this up for these early remakes. I'll be getting more into the over, the broad overview philosophical stuff of why do we do these remakes and talking about some of the big hitters from the 80s that we hadn't talked about, like I had already mentioned with The Thing, The Fly so on and so forth. And that's going to wrap up these early remakes. I will get back to remakes later on, um, but going to do something else after the next episode. Nice. 
Do you tease your uh, your guests on that one, or is that like a big surprise? I'm just curious. So, no, Jay. So, I'm going to, and I mentioned on the last episode, I'm kind of stepping back a little bit with okay. the guest. Okay. And the main show is going to be uh, much more from now on. It's going to be um, me doing solo for the foreseeable future until things kind of settle down here around the house. Okay. I knew I would ruin it on here, Trey. I knew that after you <laughs> after you had me on here, you're like, oh, the hell with this. No more no more guests after that guy. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You're good. But that's not going to be the end of guests because I do have some cool things set up where I'm going to do um, some spinoff episodes, Jay. Mm-hmm. And I did one of these myself last year, and these have been in the works for a while. I've got a few people lined up as guests, and we're going to take a year of that guest or guest's choice. And go into our top 10 movies of that year, as well as like the box office performance, if I can find those numbers oh, for that year. I love year. that. Okay. So whenever things get a little less crazy, I've got plenty of people lined up. If you're interested in that, just hit me up. It might just be a little while into the year before I can get back into doing those. But I do have some big plans with those. Those are going to be fun, getting to know what people like for certain years. So. Nice. But you didn't ruin anything, Okay, Jay. no. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad. I hope not. <laughs> yep. So quick producer's note here, everything I just said was actually a lie. Kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. The next episode will actually be featuring Nathan Bartlebaugh of Phantom Galaxy, and we're going to be talking Nosferatu versus Nosferatu the Vampire, and we're going to be talking Cat People versus Cat People 82. So that's going to be the next episode, and then on the final episode, I will wrap up by kind of hitting the high-level strokes of all the other remakes and giving the results to the polls that haven't concluded yet that I've been running over on social media. So hit those up if you haven't and vote for whichever remake or original, which one you like better. And we'll look forward to that being the next episode. But other than that, you can just come back in two weeks to get your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson.